the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Arthur Idala on AM 970. The answer. This is the Arthur Idala Power Hour with quintessential New Yorker attorney Arthur Idala, New York's go to lawyer. He's here to share his stories from in the courtroom and around the city with interviews from high profile guests and everyday folks calling in to talk about everything from politics, lifestyle, health and wellness, and more. And now your host, making the case for the city he loves, attorney Arthur Idala. Well, it's 6.04 on a Tuesday night, and uh, trying to be positive and upbeat, but obviously uh, confirming the death of uh, Officer Mora is uh, it's not not a lot of happiness going on right now. Um, if you want to look at any kind of positive aspect of this, he is saving the lives of many other folks um, and helping other people uh, regarding his organ donation. Apparently, um, they've known for quite some time now that Officer Moore was not going to survive, and they kept him on life support because his family uh, said, you know, they wanted to donate his organs. He um, he was 27. He was not married. Uh, he, I know for a fact that he gave his heart to somebody else. And um, I will tell you, I do have that little box checked off on my driver's license. I don't know where else they keep it because if something happened to me, who knows if my driver's license is actually going to be there. I'd like to think that it's somewhere in the DMV. I think that's a very awesome thing to do from the family in their time of absolute sorrow and horror. So the way we lost Rafael Ramos and Wen Jian Lu, those two police officers in the somewhat beginning of the de Blasio administration, although not as early on as this. Now we've lost uh, Jason and Wilbert uh, at the beginning of the Eric Adams administration. Um, just, I mean, Eric Adams, everyone had so much hope and he was going to come in and change everything. And obviously these are all things that are beyond his control. Uh, and you can't say he's taking it lying down. I mean, he's been all over the media. Obviously, you guys just heard his interview with John Katsimatidis, which actually was this morning uh, when he was live. Um, he was on national radio, um, national television. He was on uh, all, all the different radio stations, and he's trying to get his message out there. And, you know, we went over yesterday some of the items he put in his 15-page blueprint to basically take back the city. Um, one of the things that was not in there that he raised today, which uh, you know I think it's a great idea, although I'm not so sure it's practical, is that police officers should have to live in the five boroughs. Currently, the police officers have to live in the five boroughs or Nassau, West, Nassau Suffolk, Westchester, Putnam, or Rockland County. And he's saying, why should those five other counties uh, get the privilege of having police officers 
basically patrolling their neighborhood even off duty because as Mayor Adams, a former police officer, says, you're, you know, you're always a police officer. You never uh, don't have to uh, make an arrest or an apprehension, even if you're off duty. So, you know, he's saying that I think we should talk about having them be full time residents in the five boroughs. Of course, that's another item that does not fall in the uh, uh, that he does not have the authority to control. Neither does the city council. It's only the state legislature that has that power. But right now, uh, because of all of the attention, even though it's horrible attention on New York City, Eric Adams has a huge pulpit. Uh, he's got a, a national pulpit right now, and you know he probably has the clout and the relationships to seriously consider d- doing something like that in the state legislature and having them pass a law saying that police officers should have to live in the five boroughs. However, if I am Pat Lynch, who's the head of the PBA, even if I'm going to be a very calm Pat Lynch, I'm going to say, excuse me, Mr. Mayor or Madam Governor, the entry level salary for a police officer is $42,500. When you take some taxes out of there and you put them have them put some money in their pension plan, they're going to wind up with let's say 35 you know something like that $1,000. <clears> the littlest apartment in in New York, a studio is $1,000 a month. So now you take away $12,000. <clears> what are they going to have like Fifteen, eighteen hundred dollars a month to live. That's with a. If you want to have a car, if you want to go to a movie, if you want to buy some groceries, I mean that's not a lot of money. I am all for police officers having to live in the five boroughs. I'm also all for giving them a significant raise. Come on, folks. There's not a lot of jobs that you have to do that where you're risking your life when you go to work. I mean, it's, that's just not a typical situation. And we're reminded of it again this week. Um, I would do two things if I was Mayor Adams. Not only would I uh, give them a raise, but then maybe you want to talk about a little extra training or straight-up education. I believe right now you just need a high school diploma. You may not even. You may just be able to get a GED. Um, but I'm not sure. And our next guest will be definitely be able to answer that question because I'm going to have the retired chief of the department. So he was the highest ranking uniform officer in the NYPD, Terrence Monahan. He's going to join us in just a couple of minutes and he'll be able to answer that question. But it's one thing to say that police officers should live in the five boroughs. It's another thing to let's put our money where our mouth is. So Governor Hochul just said she got all of this money from the feds. I know the city got all this money from the feds. So, okay, we want the police officers to live here. You got to give them at least $60,000. That's my, that, that would be the bare minimum for a rookie. Now, I know there's some overtime where they can make some more money, but you can't live your life hoping that you're going to make overtime payments. So I get what Eric Adams is saying. Uh, there is a large percentage. I think it, I think he said 30-some-odd percent of officers that don't live in the city. And if they did live in the city and they did go to your dry cleaners and they did go to your supermarket and they did go to your restaurant and they did go to your bar and something happened and they were there, even if they don't have their weapon on them, they're trained to take action. And uh, why shouldn't we have those you know, if you're talking about 30% of the police department, you're talking about 10,000 police officers. Do I think 10,000 off-duty police officers in the streets would would make a difference? I do. I do. Uh, again, 
not not making $42,000 a year. That's not fair to them. The cost of living is lower in Rockland County. The cost of living is lower in parts of Suffolk County and Putnam County. I get it. I understand why they live there. When I was in the DA's office, it was the same thing. The uh, police office, I've been prepping them. They're like, hey, counselor, you think I could get out of here at you know, 410? I'm trying to catch the 422 to Ronkonkoma. I didn't even know what the hell Ronkonkoma was. I then learned, you know, it's a beautiful little neighborhood all the way out in Suffolk County that on the LIRR takes a while to get to. But because it takes a while to get to, it's it's less expensive. Um, A couple of other things that that, um, the mayor has said, and this is an interesting one. I want you to ask yourself this question. As a public service. Now, you've already given up your your child, right? You've already even or your husband, whether it's. Jason Rivera's wife or his family or Wilbert Moore's family. You've already given the ultimate sacrifice, especially if you're a parent, your child. The mayor is suggesting that both Jason and Wilbert have body cameras on them and there's video of what took place. Now, he is suggesting with the family's consent, he wants people to see that video. He wants people to see the horror of of the execution because he thinks that's going to kind of smack us in the face to what, you know, it's one thing to read about it, one thing to hear about it, but when you use your eyeballs and you actually see what happens and you see them gunned down as they're in that apartment, first they talk to the mom of the killer, then they talk to the brother of the killer and everything is calm. And they say, well, where is, where is he? Where is he upset? Oh, he's in the back. And as these poor, these two young, I mean, Jason Rivera's 22. He just started. Wilbur Moore is not that much older, police officer Moore. And and now they're walking in the back and out of nowhere. This cool, calm situation. Everything seems fine. This maniac comes out with, with, with hand cannon, a hand cannon. And he had more artillery in, in, the, in, in behind him. He had a, like a, a fully automatic weapon. And out of nowhere, he kills them both. You ask yourself... If it was your family member, your police officer's son or husband, do you want the world to see that? Or do you not want to watch your children be executed? I don't think it's an easy decision. I mean, I know I would want to see it first to see how it looks. Of course, I'd be in the fetal position for about you know a decade after I watched my child get harmed and killed. Um I don't know the answer. I'm not. I, I understand what Eric Adams is saying, and he's saying it the right way. He's saying only you know, only if the family agreed. So I'm asking you, if it's your family member, do you want it out there? Because it'll be played all over the world. It will be played from Sydney, Australia, to Antarctica, to to every everywhere in between. Um, it's a it's a rough one. I am very happy to hear that President Biden and his administration has reviewed. Uh, the mayor's uh, 15-page plan to take back New York, and they are approving it and they are supporting it. So that's a great thing. And, and Eric Adams is saying, listen, even though I'm bringing back the anti-crime unit, which is he's calling it the neighborhood policing unit or something along those lines, you know, I'm going to make sure they don't make the same mistakes that the other officers uh, were accused of, that being you know just grabbing people for no reason and throwing them up against the car and patting them down. Uh, I'm going to make sure that they follow all the rules and regulations. They will have body cameras on, so we'll see what they're doing. 
but they will be the best of the best, and they will be in the best position to keep us safe. We are going to be in a great position in just two minutes because we're going to hear from someone who really could talk to you from the inside. Former Chief of Department Terrence Monahan will give us the inside, the inside vision of what it's like in the NYPD. So I've been talking to you guys a lot about Connors and Sullivan, and we were talking about, you know, having to be prepared because you're never going to know what happens. So, you know, when I was preparing for the show today, here's the headlines in, in the New York Post. Woman 51 fatally struck on Upper East Side. She was a Spence school teacher. And here's a 51-year-old, and she's a mother. She's married, and she's a mother. And I'm sure when she woke up that morning, she felt you know, that she was going to live for a very, very long time. And there was no reason for her to have a will or a healthcare proxy or a trust or a power of attorney, et cetera, et cetera. But it's when you're healthy, that's when you don't think you need these things until you're not anymore. So if something happens to you, you may not be able to sign a power of attorney. You may not be able to execute a will. You may not be able to execute a healthcare proxy to tell the doctors, if I can't talk and make the decisions, give it to, let my husband, let my son, let my daughter make those decisions. Do you want them, do you want the doctors to have to go to, to, into the courthouse and say, well, this woman can't speak for herself, what are we going to do? Or if you don't have a will, it goes into surrogate's court and it can get caught up in there for years. It's essential to create these documents, a power of attorney, a health care proxy, uh, a living will, and a will itself. Call Connors and Sullivan, attorneys at law. They really know this stuff. They've been doing it for 40 years. They'll help me make a plan that protects you best. You'll designate who you want to make the decisions for you and what decisions you want made. For a free in-person initial consultation with a lawyer, call 718-238-6500. 2021, after being involved in, obviously, in in, in recent history, the most high-profile protest here in the streets, uh, the chief of police, Chief Terrence Monaghan, announced his retirement. And many of us who had been watching his body of work and watching at how he handled everything, uh, you know, cool, calm, and collected, when Black Lives Matter was blowing up the streets of New York and there were protests and, and uh, you know, he was there. He was the he was the voice of reason. He was the voice of sanity. He was keeping the morale of his troops up during a very, very, very difficult time. And he was trying to do his best to work with the people, the protesters, to keep them in, 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 as calm as could be expected. 
Um, he's now left the NYPD, and um, I want to bring on Chief Monahan, who the first I want to start off with, Chief, with giving you my condolences for the loss of um, your two blue brothers. And I know, uh, I know it's a crushing blow for uh, everyone who's worn that badge over the years. Thank you, Arthur. Listen, it's, uh, it's a horrible time. Uh, there is no worse feeling you have when, uh, when something like this happens. And uh, it's something that stays with you forever and ever. So, you know what I wanted to ask you, Chief? I know you've been, how long were you in the department? 30, how many years? 39, 39 years. 39 years. And you're a Bronx boy, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And um, your area of what you were well known for was crowd control, correct? You did the World Series, yeah. you did the All-Star Game, you did all the big New York City events, correct? Absolutely. And See, all the, uh, the protests, we had many of them. Yeah, and you know, you hear me saying correct, correct, because I'm automatically when I have a police officer on the other end, I just I keep the questions nice and tight and just nice leading questions. I, I swear to God, Terrence, that's that was just instinct, though. Isn't that correct? I, yeah, now you're on the other side. Actually, you helped me out with something today. So here's we. I wanted to give our listeners a little inside as to you know what happens when a police officer gets shot initially just you know not necessarily uh, this particular case i you know i know you were around when rafael ramos and sh uh, got shot and police officer lou got got killed t t you know tell me uh, tell us what happens give us a little inside look into one police plaza and the hierarchy of the nypd in terms of how people get notified and what the coordination is with the mayor's office and other city agencies etc cetera, etc cetera. So there's an operations unit in the police department that's monitoring every job that's going on through the city. Once that call comes over, that 1013, you know, it's all hands on. So what does 1013 mean? 1013 is officer assistance. Something happened to a police officer. So now they're, they're monitoring and they're trying to find out what's happening. And, and it is utter chaos at the scene of a, a police officer shot originally. Uh, you're sitting down, down in the operations unit. You are trying to decipher the radio transmissions going on. You're trying to determine if, in fact, a police officer was shot, if, in fact, how serious it is, uh, and if he's shot, what hospital he's going to. So operations unit is getting all this information going. At the same time, the notifications are going out that uh, it appears we have a police officer shot. Phone calls are going to City Hall. It's going to the police commissioner. It's going to every chief on the department. The chief of the department would get it. Every other chief uh, would be starting to get notifications directly from operations. We all have our advanced teams, and they are running out. The second that call comes in, they are running out to the scene to gather the information to see uh, you know, what exactly happened. And once it's confirmed that we have a police officer shot, we're heading to the hospital. So myself, as chief of department back then, the police commissioner and the mayor would all directly respond to the hospital. Other chiefs, chief of detective, chief of patrol, they're going to go to the scene to determine, you know, hey, what happened on the scene? Uh, is there any outstanding perpetrators? And to try and get the story, because that story is going to change 20 times from the initial phone calls we get until we really lock down exactly what happened 
and how serious it is. And how does it how yeah. does it work, Chief, with with the family and, and notifying the family? So once we have uh, an officer, and again, it's, everything is going to be to the seriousness of it too. We speak to the officer if we can, and find out who's the family that he needs notified. Where are they? And we dispatch people to their houses immediately. If they live uh, out of the city somewhere in uh, on a family somewhere else in New York, the state troopers are absolutely phenomenal. They will get to that house. They will pick that family up. Uh, if we need to fly a helicopter out to get them for wherever they are, if they're far away, that's what we'll do. Get them there uh, to the hospital, to their loved ones as quickly as possible. So did you have know to... that officer shot. No, I was just want to ask you, did, did you, did you ever have that horrible duty of, you know, going to grab a, a notify a family that uh, their officer, their family member was uh, wounded, at least if not killed? No, I never went out to it, but I, I had the, the worst things in the world is to sit there in that room with the families. And I'll, I'll never forget sitting with the Mokin family uh, as we waited to find out how Brian was, whether he was going to make it, whether he was not going to make it. Speaking with his father, who was an amazing person, his mother, uh, and just sitting there waiting, waiting for the doctor to come in. You know, we all knew it was serious, but uh, as that family waits and the trepidation, the, the fear, uh, and as that final horrifying moment when the doctor says they've done all that they can, you just see everything leave their bodies. And it's, it, it is something that, you know, yeah, God, no one wants to have to be a part. No one wants to see. It is the worst feeling in the world. Well, I know, you know, thank you, for number one, for doing that and comforting that family. And, uh, you know, and I know you've done so much work over your almost four decades, uh, <clears throat> complete four decades there. And then <clears throat> who, uh, who, so there's going to be, we know that on Friday at St. Patrick's Cathedral is going to be the funeral for detective. Now, we'll, both of these officers get elevated to the rank of detective. Is that kind of standard? That's usually what happens. I, I can't see it okay. not happening. You know, anyone who's lost their life in a lot of duty like this, normally the police commissioner, at least that's how we've done it in the past. I'm not sure how they're going to do it uh, under this administration. But the police commissioner, at the end of his eulogy, promotes them to detective first okay. grade, which is a benefit towards the family. Okay. Yeah, I know that. Um... Financially. I know that's what they did with uh, it was police officer Ramos and police officer Lou. Yeah, um, we've done it with all. We, we did it with um, with Simons. We, we've always promoted them. They've always gotten that promotion. And it's in least terms, we can do for the families. Who? Uh, what benefits are there? I mean, you know, uh, Jason Rivera is. You know, he's got a, a wife he just left behind. So obviously, does, does the pension carry on and take care of her for? Just tell me how that works. Yes. There's, there's a, a lot of different monies that will come in. Uh, obviously, he's a rookie, so he wasn't at top pay, which is okay. always problematic. Uh, by promoting him to detective first grade, it moves his pay up, up until. So instead of the pay he was getting, his pay will increase dramatically, and the pension will be based based on that. And there are so many different organizations out there right now that do a lot of good for these families. 
whether it's the Silver Shield Foundation, whether it's Centurions, uh, Steve Seller and his people. Are yeah, amazing. I bet you just read that they've already raised three hundred thousand dollars in the last three days for um, for, I, for I, I well at the time it was for Jason Rivera, but now. I'm assuming uh, Mr. Morris' family will be a recipient, and as you know, I don't need to say this. You know, yeah, they don't. They don't want any money. They just want their loved ones. No. They want their loved ones back. Um, you know, obviously, I would. I, I promise you, I was only going to keep you for a couple of minutes, Tara. But if you got a couple extra minutes, I'd like to just uh, sure, no keep you on through the commercial break. One one thing is, I want to. One thing I want to address with you is Mayor Adams today said. <clears throat> All the, the police officers should have to live in the. He would like them to all live in the five boroughs because a police officer is always a police officer, and you know even if you're off duty. And why shouldn't we have the ten thousand plus who live outside the five boroughs? Why shouldn't they have them? Why shouldn't we have them here? My argument before you came on was at forty two thousand dollars. I think that's a little hard to be living in the five boroughs. But I was wondering what your thoughts are on that. Absolutely. You know, there, there is a dream that we all have. You, you want to have that, that yard, raise your family somewhere, and you want to be able to do something better for yourself. Maybe I could go with when you first come on the job, you've been in the city, but if you have an opportunity to leave, to move out, it's just as good. Listen, you're coming back into that city every day. I moved out. I grew up in the Bronx. But when I started to have a family, I wanted to have a house with a yard. I couldn't afford a house with a yard. Terry, we'll be back. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back, buddy. You got it. I'm Lou Dobbs. Another turbulent day on Wall Street. The president withdraws his vaccine mandate for big business. Those stories next. Here's some great news. If you miss the deadline to sign up for health insurance, or if, like a lot of people, you just have a plan you're not happy with, you still have a choice. It's called MediShare. It's a Christian healthcare sharing program. There are more than 400,000 members now, and they love it. In fact, MediShare has double the customer satisfaction rate compared to that of health insurance. And MediShare really is the gold standard when it comes to healthcare sharing. It's been around more than 25 years. Members have shared more than $4 billion of each other's medical bills. Plus, MediShare is for you. It has saved its members billions by advocating on their behalf. Best of all, the typical savings for a family is around $6,000 a year. So if you think you're stuck with a high-cost health plan that doesn't have much to offer, think again. MediShare has a 98% customer satisfaction rating, and you are invited to be part of it. Call now, 877-64-BIBLE. That's 877-64-BIBLE. 877-64-BIBLE. It was another bumpy day of trading on Wall Street. Investors digesting more corporate earnings and keeping a watchful eye on the Federal Reserve's policy meeting that just began in Washington. Shares of GE down more than 7% after GE reported a $3.8 billion loss in the fourth quarter. Minnesota-based 3M Company reporting better than expected performance last quarter. One unknown is when and by how much the Fed will raise interest rates for the first time this year with at least two more rate hikes expected before year-end. At the closing bell, stocks today lower. The Dow Jones Industrials fell 67 points. Conceding the obvious, President Biden today withdrew his vaccine mandate for private employers with over 100 workers that was blocked by the U.S. Supreme Court good of the White House to follow suit. Join me three times each day for updates right here on this station. This is the Lou Dobbs Financial Report. News, opinion, passion. This is AM 970, The Answer. Generally clear skies, 36 degrees on this Tuesday evening. What's going on? We have the answer. 
Well, sadly, a second police officer is now dead from injuries sustained in a shooting last Friday in Harlem. Let's get more from Scott Pringle. Officer Wilbert Mora passed away from his injuries. PBA President Pat Lynch says the 27-year-old will live on in the heart of every officer from this day forward. The city's police commissioner calls him a three-time hero for signing up to be a cop, giving his life, and being an organ donor. Mora and Officer Jason Rivera were both shot by a suspect while responding to a domestic violence call Friday in Harlem. Rivera was also killed. The suspect died from his wounds Monday after being shot by a third officer. Scott Pringle, NBC News Radio, New York. New York State's mask mandate is back in effect. A judge granted a stay in the case while the appeal is litigated. A state appellate court held a hearing on the matter this afternoon after a state Supreme Court judge overturned an indoor mask mandate. Governor Hochul said she still supported the wearing of masks. And the governor says the state is making progress in the fight against the COVID winter surge. She says new positive cases are down 86 percent in two and a half weeks and hospitalizations are down, too. She also said the state could do a better job at getting children vaccinated and said there will be new vaccine pop-up sites for kids. In addition, the governor said 158 people sadly passed away from COVID yesterday around New York State. Taking a look at the traffic across the Hudson we're looking at delays about 15 to 20 minutes at the outbound Holland Tunnel. Inbound 5 to 10 from 1 and 9, not bad from the Turnpike. It's better than the Lincoln Tunnel, which is close to a half-hour delay now from 9th Avenue. A little better than that if you're heading to the North Tube via the 11th Avenue approach. Inbound Lincoln, about a five-minute wait. And the George Washington Bridge, 5 to 10, heading into Manhattan for both the upper and lower levels. Clear skies tonight, overnight low 22. Sunshine tomorrow, high 28. Sunny skies Thursday, high 31. Cloudy with a chance of snow Friday, and then Friday evening, high 37, then perhaps a bigger storm for Saturday. And now you know what's going on. I am Mike Barker on AM 970, The Answer. We're back to the Arthur Idala Power Hour with New York City's preeminent trial attorney and quintessential New Yorker, attorney Arthur Idala. All right, so before we get back to Chief Monahan, um, I just needed to remind you that when you need a car, you got to check out Platinum-Mitsubishi.com. Platinum-Mitsubishi.com. I will tell you, last night before I went to bed, I went on the website. Besides looking at all the great lease deals on the Mitsubishis, besides looking at all the great financing deals, even if you have some shaky credit on the Mitsubishis, they have a great selection of used cars. They have everything in there. They had Hondas. They had Mercedes-Benz. They had uh, a Porsche. They had a Hyundai. Everything you could think of. And if they, what you're looking for is not there, just pick up the phone and dial 732-863-2788. 732-863-2788. And just ask for Michael. He's the owner and said, Arthur told me you're going to give me a great deal on a car and he will take very good care of you. Um, those of you who just heard the news update. Yes, it's true regarding the masks. Um, a judge in Nassau County said, no, the mask mandate was overly broad and, uh, you, he, Put it, he set it aside so you could take your masks off. And today, the state went into the appellate division, second department, and they made an argument. And Judge Miller, who is a very smart judge, knows what he's doing uh, in general. He's very experienced. Uh, he said, well, we're going to hear the whole uh, argument. We're going to hear the whole case. But So before we hear all the facts, we're going to put the mask mandate back in in back in place. So today you could keep the mask off, but tomorrow you got to put the mask back on. That is the accurate update on what's going on. Uh, Chief, it's Arthur again. Thanks for holding on. Um, you know, tell me how the uh, budgetary um, 
depletion affected you guys at all? Because when you were there, they, you know, in response to what happened, as I was blasting yesterday in another city, another state by another police department, they reduced the NYPD's budget by, I believe it was a billion dollars. You will correct me if I'm wrong. Yes. What effect did that have, um, whether it was the real effect, the moral, the morale effect, et cetera, et cetera, on you guys? Oh, it was a, a huge effect originally. We lost 1,100 uh, police officers. That was the headcount. Our number dropped by 1,100. And these are officers that just uh, a few years earlier, the city council had approved so that we can get up to the numbers that we needed to do the neighborhood policing that we were doing and to keep crime down. When we had the right number of police officers in 2017, 2018, those were some of the best years we ever had in crime. The homicide numbers in those years, the only years ever better since they started counting homicides in 1928 was 1953 and the five years during World War II, 40 to 45. Wow. And then all of a sudden, they, they want to knock our budget, lower our headcount, lower the amount of overtime that <clears throat> the men and women were, were getting so we could have uh, put them out in different events. Uh, it, it had a huge impact. It took away... The NYPD taking care of the homeless individuals that were out on the street. We had a whole unit that went out there providing services for the homeless, interacting with them on a daily basis. That was taking away uh, the peddler and, situation around the city. And the, the, the thing is this, units. Chief, this is, this is what really drove me crazy then and, and more crazy now, especially what happened this week. Those actions were taken, and please, Terry, correct me if I'm wrong. Those actions were taken not because of anything that the New York City Police Department did, correct? That was a knee-jerk reaction to an incident in Minnesota. I mean, no how stupid are we? I mean, how stupid are we? Something that happens in Minnesota, which God bless everyone from Minnesota who's listening, but the bottom line is, you know, the, I would use a derogatory term about it, Minnesota being a pimple on the butt of New York. You know, I'm sorry about that, but we're we're reacting to Minnesota. No, folks, that's not how the world works. The world works where everyone reacts to what happens in New York. And we got it. I was going to say ASS backwards, but this is like a Christian owned station. Chief, so I got to behave. But I mean, we got it absolutely backwards. We're supposed to be everyone's supposed to be following our lead. You have the safest. You led the safest big city in the United States of America, and yet we are allowing us or allowed ourselves to react to what happened by one police officer. You know, I'm not going to condemn every guy, every police officer in Minnesota. One guy. Terry, I feel so bad for those three guys who are on trial right now, especially, I believe, two of them are rookies. Just yeah. tell, tell was, the. Was a, that was a senior police officer that led, led him astray and did something horrible. And, you know, they, they thought this guy knew what he was doing. Obviously, he didn't. They should have reacted. But still, that guy, you know, he's well, he just a, a give, give, 800000 give a Give a little insight to the listeners about the difference in a police officer's brain when you're a rookie versus when you've been there, let's say, even a decade, 10 years. So that rookie police officer is coming in. And he's looking at this senior guy as someone who knows what they're doing, someone who's done it all, and they're trying to learn from that individual. They, you know, their, their reactions are different, and they're going to be different. You're, you're told to follow your training officer, follow the senior officers. They've been doing this for years. 
they know how to get the job done. It doesn't excuse. You have to be able to. You can't look at that blindly. If someone is doing something completely out of the rain, you do have to step in. You do have to do something. But, uh, you know, whether or not, and I know it's a criminal trial going on right now, I don't know if it's criminal what they did. Right. But, and you, uh, if you look, if you want to take them off the job, you say, listen, guys, you know, right. you, I know it was your first year, your first months, and you, you messed up. You were supposed to t- tell, tell Chauvin, who's this, as you said, a senior guy, trained guy. Uh, you know, you're supposed to be following his lead. You're supposed to be following his commands, I would assume, unless he's telling them something that to do that's illegal. So, you know, you got to get out. of I just hope these kids don't get some sort of crazy jail term. Uh, you know, I, that, that just doesn't make any sense. Um, the other thing that, you know, you are a leader, okay? Now, I lead a tiny little law firm. Bill Parcells led the New York Giants, which has got, you know, hundreds of people. You led thousands of people, thousands of people. How were you able to do it? I mean, in the you could correct me. Tell me if I'm wrong. It had to be the worst time in the NYPD's history regarding morale. When I was standing in front of my office, Chief, and I'm watching people who I didn't have a tremendous amount of respect for, standing toe-to-toe with African-American police officers, Asian-American police officers, Hispanic-American police officers, mainly who were women, screaming at them, calling them pigs and animals and baby killers and all kinds of stuff. How were you able, because you were very visible, Chief. You were out there. You were, you know, you know, every time you turn on the news, you saw you your white shirt with your three stars. How were you able to, I'm not worried about you. I know I know you well enough now, and, and you're a tough Bronx guy. How were you able to keep the, the common folk, the actual working NYPD officers from just giving up? You had to be out there with them, and that's what we did. And not just me. I'm talking about my entire executive staff, Rodney Harrison, Fausto Pachado. They were out there doing the exact same job that those cops were doing. We couldn't allow them to do it by themselves. That was horrible. We were under attack. Simple as that. You know, John Mestronati, there's pictures of him that night, an inspector from the 7-5 with his tooth knocked out. Because he stayed there. He led the men from the front. You don't lead from an office. You don't lead from one PP. You're out on the streets with your men trying to get them to it. And those, those were the toughest days I've ever spent on the police department. We were physically under attack. Hundreds and hundreds of cops injured. Uh, we were lucky because of the great work the men and women did. It wasn't a hell of a lot worse. We were locking people up all over the place, breaking into stores. I believe over two days we made 550 burglary arrests. Those were people we caught in the stores, showing you the thousands that were out there rampaging through our streets. You know, this was as tough a time as I've ever spent. I remember being out on Bedford Park on that Saturday night with buses abandoned in the middle of the street, radio cars on fire, and the cops outnumbered and no help coming, standing with them. And we stood there for hours till we were able to clean those blocks under attack. I had Charlie McAvoy, who's still on the job, get hit in the head with a brick, walk back, clean his head off of the blood, and come right back to the front lines. Amazing. So I mean, I mean it's amazing. You know, these, and, and, you amazing know, you, people. You're you're not exactly a kid. I mean, you were around in the in the seventies. You know, no, eighty two. You came on the job, right? Yeah, eighty two. Okay, so you were around in the eighties when you know things were pretty rough, and the the the, the, the Crown Heights, the Crown Heights era, and and 
uh, you know, the, some rough times, let's say, here here in, in New York. And for you to hear you say that the toughest times you were ever on the, when during your career on the NYPD really speaks volumes. And um, before I let you go, I might as well let you make a little, uh, you know, tell us what you do now. What does the chief of department do after you have this storied career? Um, you know, how do you spend your day? You do a needlepoint, crocheting? You know, what do you do all day long? Well, for a while, I tried to take up golf, and I wasn't too good. I figured, <laughs> let me get back to work. So I'm doing some consulting work. I'm working, uh, doing a lot of event uh, organizing, event planning, permitting with this company, IDECO. Uh, I'm doing some cryptocurrency investigations with a company called Chainalysis. Uh, so there's a so few you other keep, you're keeping busy, right, Chief? With. You keep keeping busy. busy. Keep so busy. The, the last question that I have to ask you, because we got 60 seconds left, is um, – Obviously, you made a lot of news when you made the strategic decision, I'm assuming well-thought-out decision, to take a knee with the Black Lives Matter, some of the leadership, or oh, I don't exactly know who you took the, the, the knee with. Do you have, how do you feel about that today in retrospect? So there was not a lot of decision in that one. That was in the midst of a crisis. So we were 5,000 people on the street. I had 20, 25 cops. And the crowd started throwing bottles at us. I had news reporters standing next to me because we had just de-escalated a situation in the park. So every major news station is sitting there as the bottles start coming. And it was the first time in four Tell days. You, hold on one second. Don't go anywhere. I'm not letting you go. Stay there. Susan Lee, and this is the Fox Business Report. Another volatile trading session with the major averages falling. All eyes are currently on the Fed, which is releasing its monetary policy decision on Wednesday afternoon. The Dow falling 67 points, the Nasdaq down 316, S&P 500 falling 54. And AMC Entertainment is stepping up its efforts to refinance some of its debt as the movie theater operator shares and bonds have plunged, giving up most of their gains since the company became a meme stock favorite. According to the Wall Street Journal, AMC is in advance refinancing talks with multiple interested parties. And for the first time since the pandemic began, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway is planning to hold its annual shareholders meeting in person this spring on April the 30th in Omaha, Nebraska. For the past two years, the meeting, which normally attracts some 40,000 Buffett worshippers, was held online only. That's your Fox Business Report. I'm Hillary Barsky, invested in you. Biden's massive spending plan has expanded America's money supply and taken money out of your pocket. But you can fight back against runaway inflation by sheltering your IRA or 401k with gold through Birch Gold Group. This is Stephen K. Bannon, and I'm proud to be a customer of Birch Gold. Join me. Birch Gold has created a free info kit on protecting your retirement with gold in a tax-sheltered account. Just text the words SHELTER to 989898. Text SHELTER to 989898 and learn how to shelter your IRA or 401k with gold. You could save big when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, but when we just come out and say it, it feels like it falls a bit flat. So we're going to use humor. But we don't want to insult your intelligence, so nothing too goofy. And we need to avoid any polarizing topics. Oh, and it has to be about how you can save big when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive. You know what? Maybe humor is a bad idea. Yeah, it's never going to work. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. You and I in a little toy show by a bag of balloons. 
99 balloons, I think of letting a few balloons go in honor of Police Officer Mora and Police Officer Rivera and letting them up to the sky to the point where you can't hear them, can't see them anymore and hope that they're in good, gentle hands. Um, So I know sometimes lawyers don't have the best reputation for honesty. Uh, I'd like to think I don't fall into that category, but I have to tell you folks, with Chief Monahan on the phone, I told him, "Could you just come on for ten minutes?" And that was a half an hour ago. <laughs> Chief, I hope I hope you're not mad at me. Um, no, I, we're good. You're 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 a fantastic guest, and and I will tell you, I'm very intrigued and interested by all you have to say. And quite frankly, I did not think you were going to give me the uh, honor of elaborating on on what took place when you when you took a knee, and it was it was I believe it was on the cover of the papers. So well, just back up again and just tell us tell us what happened slowly in, in your own words. Right. So there was a an incident in Washington Square Park. Two of our cops went to make an arrest, and they got surrounded by a crowd. A team of around 15, 20 cops helped get them out, but then they got surrounded. We were able to de-escalate and get them out onto a side street. The group started marching out of Washington Square Park, uh, 5,000 or so. All of a sudden, some bottles from the middle of the crowd come towards our, our cops standing on the side street. There's news reporters, news cameras. I think every major news station happened to be there based on the incident that happened in the park a few minutes earlier. At this point, it's getting very tense. The crowd is getting directly in the face of, uh, of the cops that I have there. But all of a sudden, a guy comes out of the crowd, a leader, with a microphone and amplifiers, and he starts pushing the crowd back telling them this is not about the police. This isn't what our march is about. This isn't what we're trying to do. Don't be attacking the cops. It was the first time in four days that someone came out, a leader, and actually fought back against the people that were trying to hijack the movement. He was having trouble, so he asked me, Chief, come help me. Please help me. So I took the mic and I spoke. And I spoke to the crowd, and I told him, don't let the anarchists who are looking to attack the cops hijacked the movement. There wasn't a cop there that believed what happened in Minnesota was right. At that point, the crowd calmed down. And that's when the guy originally who came out asked me, please, chief, take a knee with me. I said, but you, I'll take a knee. You came, you helped. You were were trying to do the right thing. So we went down and we took a knee together. So this was nothing planned. Okay, I got it. It was the moment. I got it. Well, listen, I uh, now and now you know the rest of the story. Well, Chief, that was great. Just so so you knew while we were on the phone uh, in kind of, I guess, good news. If you're a Boston Red Sox fan, David Ortiz was just elected to the Baseball Hall of Fame and Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens were not. So since I got you here, Chief, how do you feel about Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens not being in the Hall of Fame? I mean, the home run hitter and Clemens was an unbelievable pitcher. But, you know, they're saying that they dabbled in the uh in the bad stuff so what's your call chief you you make the decision you're the chief of the department let's make you the chief for the hall of fame did barry bonds and roger roger clemens get in or not i think they should be in the day after pete rose is in ah. and in the hall of fame is an outright shame listen that he gambled if you're not gonna let pete rose in and i guess you don't let the rest of them in 
But uh, great answer. Chief. I'm a Yankee fan, so Dave, David Ortiz. I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm with you, brother. But you know, he does. He does. He does deserve it. Of course, you're young. You're you're from the oh, Bronx. Yeah. I told you, my family's from Bure Avenue in the Bronx. So I, uh, I, I know where you come from, I, Terry. I thank you so much. You got to come up to the Sinatra room. The next uh, bourbon is on me, and uh, we'll have some fun. Thanks so much for your time, and uh, good luck at the funeral on Friday. We'll be praying for all of you. Thank you, Arthur. Take care. Be well. That is the talk about getting it from the horse's mouth, folks. Uh, not that, that that Chief Monahan is a horse, and anyway, he's he's a great guy. I was introduced to him by my friend uh, Vincent. I got a guy, Lavienne. Um, they may be in November. And uh, we've spent many times together now. He's just, he's a very warm, friendly man who's, you know, really got a wealth of knowledge. Someone who probably doesn't have such a wealth of knowledge or is so desperate is Michael Avenatti. He's on trial right now for uh, uh, Stormy Daniels was the woman who went after Trump. And remember, she made Michael Avenatti. Stormy Daniels was the, she had sex, I think, with, with Trump. And then was suing him and brought it out during the campaign. And she made Michael Avenatti a superstar. Uh, he was. He was a superstar. He was on The Tonight Show. He was everywhere. Um, you know, CNN, on every night he was on CNN. He's now done jail time. He's going back to do jail time. He was stripped of his law license. He's on trial now for stealing uh, a, a part of her $300,000 fee for having... Um, for having, uh, she wrote a book. So she was supposed to get $300,000 and allegedly he forged a document and, and signed her name. I, I think the document wasn't forged, but her signature was forged to reroute the payment from her to him. So he's on trial now in front of a very uh, experienced judge, Judge Furman, who used to be a uh, in the Southern District of New York. He used to be an assistant U.S. attorney. And Avenatti's got no money. Right. This is a guy who is flying on private planes, driving his brand new $400,000 Ferrari. He's got no money. No money. He had to fill out an aff a financial affidavit showing that he's got no money. So he's assigned lawyers to represent him. And according to the judge, the lawyers have been doing an excellent job representing him. And this morning, he stands up and says, Judge, there's been a uh, breakdown of communication with my attorneys, and I want to try my own case. <clears throat> judge Furman said, I really don't think you should do that. Both of your lawyers who you have here, you have two, are doing a great job. I think you're making a mistake. And I don't think he's ever tried a criminal case before. He's only tried civil cases. Nope, nope, I want to be my own lawyer. And I believe Stormy Daniels is testifying tomorrow, and he'll be cross-examining her. Um, and there is a very famous expression, a lawyer who represents himself has a fool for a client. So you could file Mr. Avenatti's decision to represent himself uh, under that title, um, I have some good news here somewhere. It's about a 19-year-old young woman. <clears throat> she flew a plane 32,000 miles circumventing the earth. That's pretty cool. Um, she's the youngest person to, to ever do that. Uh, wait, did she? Yeah. The previous youngest ever woman to accomplish the celebrated feat of aviation was American, and she was 21, I believe. So we have people flying around the world. Um, we have lawyers representing themselves. And more importantly, we have almost $13 million raised for animal shelters to honor the late celebrity. Betty White. There was a hashtag Betty White challenge to raise money. And man, 
when you put kids, when you put kids, yes, make a lot of money, but animals make a ton of money. I represented a guy who was in was charged criminally with going after an animal, going after a dog specifically, and, and attempting to light the dog on fire. When I spoke to the chief in the DA's office about the case, he said, Art, it's easier for me to give you a reasonable offer if he would have stabbed some, a human being than going after the animals. When you go after the animals, when you go after the animals, the animal lobby is so uh, powerful and so vocal that they'll come out here and picket us and they'll come out here and attack us. And we, you know, so it took a long time, but we were able to get that particular young man a non-jail disposition that, by the way, for the record, the dog was not hurt at all, not even like a tiny little bit. It was an attempt to hurt the dog. Um, so Betty White at a hundred years old, I mean, she missed the hundred year mark, but she was, I believe it was for her hundredth birthday. The, it was like a hundred dollars for Betty's a hundredth birthday. Ready for this? 400,000 people used Facebook and Instagram to donate to the challenge, raising an incredible $12.7 million for animal shelters and rescuers all over the country. Boy, I mean, That's great. I just wish we could raise that kind of money so quickly for the kids who go to sleep in America without food. Um, And the kids in America, America, not another country, America, who go to sleep without shelter over their head. Well, we are wrapping up uh, two days that have not been fun. Um, These are really difficult topics. You know, I when I took over the microphone three weeks ago, I was like, we're going to keep it upbeat. We're going to keep it positive. It's a little rough to be upbeat and positive when you lose two members of the force that keeps us safe. And I did listen to Eric Adams' uh, speech today. I, was, I should say some of his interviews today. They did sound very similar to some of his campaign speeches. And one of the lines that he said is, you know, there's no Polish dream. There's no German dream. There's no Italian dream. You know, there's an American dream. And we have to do everything in this city to make that American dream come true. And let's face it, this is where the American dream started. This is where it started. This was the capital of the United States of America, was New York City. And then the compromise with Hamilton and Jefferson was to move it they were going to push through Hamilton's financial plan as the Treasury Secretary, but they were going to move the capital to Washington, D.C., which is closer to Virginia, where both Jefferson and George Washington hailed from. So they didn't have to schlep up to New York. So let's all band together as New Yorkers. Let's all say a prayer for these two young men killed in the, the, the prime of their lives. They didn't even get to the prime of their lives yet. And maybe tomorrow we can come back with some positive news and some positive energy, but do your best to make the rest of tonight as positive as you can. Have a good evening. Have a good day at work and we'll see you tomorrow. The preceding program sponsored by Freehold Mitsubishi. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.